Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 126. 126, I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we have an excellent set of reviews, one in particular that I'm whoa, excited whoa, whoa, to get whoa, into. Whoa, 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 You didn't even give me a chance to speak. Wait, I can't complain. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not going to complain. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. Go ahead, Josh. Well, we're, we're up to 167 five-star reviews. So let's just get that out there. 167. Yeah, 167. And we're going to get some shirts made up. Nathan Phelps, as he's been dubbed now. Nathan Phelps, Polar Plunge 2020. We're going to get those shirts made up. Probably get like a limited edition, like 100. Um, we'll have the details for you guys by next show where you can pick up one of those shirts at. But anyways, Josh, go ahead with the reviews. We're at 167 five-star. Need to get to 200. Help a brother out. Let's see Nathan get cold and wet. Yeah, 167. We've gotten several in the last week since we asked for them. So uh, I think I think old Nate's going to get wet here uh, in January. But uh, but Ryan, you know, I'm, I'm the favorite host and you know, I'm also, it appears to be the adult um, in the room. So I just, I'm just very thankful to our listeners for not only giving us the reviews, but recognizing the true, true talent and uh, the the ballast that's in this boat. <laughs> the ballast, <laughs> my gracious! Well, let's read some of them five star reviews. Not all five star reviews are created equal. I must say before we get started, hitting the refresh button, five star only gas for life, 1984. I find myself often checking for a new episode. This podcast is excellent. If you find it hard to love the industry you work within. You work with them because maybe you don't have the attention span to read that all that's out there. These guys do a great job picking out important topics going on. Many times I picked up information for this podcast just to research further. Josh and Ryan are so real, so easy to understand, and passionate about energy. Energy, you won't be disappointed. Thank you, Oil and Gas for Life, 1984. Uh, JT6 Mill. Um, if he got six million dollars, could he donate some to the show? I wonder about that. He doesn't. I could be like a sponsorship yeah, for sponsorship. a year. Yeah. Maybe that's a subtle offer. Yeah, that, uh, it, yeah. We we will we will take that for the show. Um, five star review. Josh, Ryan, and Nate do it. What? Did he give Nate credit on the show? He did. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna cut that out. Josh, Ryan, and Nate do an amazing job of staying on top of current topics related to the Texas and Midcon oil field. Meeting up with them in person is just the icing on the cake. Keep up the great work, fellas. I don't know who this is. Do you know who this is? Uh, I guess we met with him or her. Uh, let us know. Reach out to the bat line three one eight five nine 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 one nine two. Just curious who that is. This one five star to the lake. This is Joe Baxson. I said uh, Bo Jackson. I don't like that. These guys are all jumping in the lake. Um, Joe, I hope you're wrong, but Nate does. I hope you're right about Nate. It's exquisite oil and gas commentary from a couple of simpletons. It started off really good there. The simpletons I'm not too sure about, but that's okay. Uh, this is from Ray Ganowski. As a business development professional, this podcast is very helpful in understanding where the market is going. It is surprising that a couple simpletons can ar- articulate such great analysis, but also encouraging that anyone can grasp the oil and gas market. <laughs> that feels like it's a compliment. It feels like it is. Do you think it is? Yeah, it's got a, a couple of subtle digs in there for sure. But uh, I mean, we'll take we'll it. Take it. Wait, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Five stars. You can say a lot of bad stuff for five stars. Um, let's see here. I can't pronounce this one. This is a bunch of consonants. There's like one vowel in here, but A G C R C R C R B, whatever that is. Great podcast. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, this one was a disappointing five star, but we'll read it. Josh and Ryan are a lot of fun to listen to. 
I'm new to the oil and gas world, and the po- and their podcast has really helped me under- up to get up to speed. Even though Ryan complains a lot. We can continue on. He really knows what's going on in the oil and gas industry and can explain it well for the masses, and it's fun to listen to. This is hard. Whatever your name is, I can't say it. Josh, as the adult in the room, balances the show well with his great insights. Keep up the good work, guys. Like, that one hurt. Like, that one hurt. Do I complain a lot on the show? Is that, is that, is that what happens here? I'm going to be positive today. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to not. I'm not going to mention how hard it is to deal with you two offline. I'm not going to mention what it's like pulling teeth to get stuff done in this office. I'm not going to bring up any of that stuff. I'm not going to talk about the communists that are running for democratic office. I'm not going to talk about how governments are going to tax us to death. I'm not. I'm not going there today, guys. I'm going to be positive, so that this person can get the full Ryan Ray experience. And finally, Silly Willie Seven Nate needs to swim, comma. Josh also needs to swim, and that—that that is the five-star review we're looking for right there. Now, if you wanted to reverse about Josh complaining and Ryan being the adult, you can do it, you can do that as well. But a lot of good stuff. Um, some hurt Josh. Some hurt some. Some of those kind of dug deep. I complain a lot, so I'm not going to complain. I'm going to be thankful for the five-star reviews, um, but not as thankful as I would be if we got to 200. So, please, please, please go make that happen. We'll get some shirts made up. Not sure how many it's going to be. Um, 10, 100. No, 200, but it'll be a limited edition, and we'll put those on sale. Of course, um, if we get to two, was it 225? <coughs> was it two? What's the number? 225. <coughs> if we get to 225, then we'll probably get another shirt made up with like you know three heads on a on a block of ice or something like that because it's going to be freezing out there. So, anyways, 200 is the magic number. Please get us there by the end of the year. And Nate Hansen or Nathan Phelps, we call him on the office now, will go polar plunging into Lake Granbury, and it's going to be cold. Like it's going to be cold. You know, one of the things I thought about Josh, we haven't promised him like a towel. We hadn't given him the day off. We just said, if you would you do this, we've got 200. And he agreed. So there's there's a lot of things that he didn't negotiate for he should have up front so yeah that's gonna be a long day at the office <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't picked a date nate have you have you looked at the calendar to see what date will work for you now this is something to change because let's say we get to like january and we look at it and like the date is gonna be like 70 for some reason and the next day is gonna be like 20 well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move it to the 20 degree um i'm thinking January 7th or 8th would probably be the best day, depending on, again, whatever the coldest day of the month is going to be. Um, well, Ryan, Monday the 6th, Tuesday the 7th, and Wednesday the 8th, I, uh, I'm i planning to have one of my grandmothers die, so I'm going to have to be at her funeral. Wow. Those wow. three days. Uh, the wow. 9th through the 16th, um, I'll probably have the flu. Mm. And the 17th through the 31st, that just, that's, I'm slammed, man. I'm sorry. Mm. You're busy those can't, days. Can't do any of that, yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. I, well, our fair global takes, new, he said January 1st, he's available, right? We usually take that as a holiday, so we're going to have to just cancel that as a company holiday this year. So January 1st was no longer a company holiday um, because Nate's available that day. And so we can cancel company holiday for for nate so good deal okay we got that worked out january 1st it sounds like we're going to do uh cancel out of the company holiday anyways josh let's get to the show and uh a lot to cover yeah so the first uh first article we got today is an article from houston chronicles got a couple of a couple of nuggets in it uh the first one is uh 
starting with the title, privately held, Moburn Oil competes with Permian's big boys. Uh, so Moburn is out in Hobbs, New Mexico, and they are running, I, I believe, uh, nine rigs in New Mexico alone. Uh, they're competing with, as probably the biggest privately held company out there. Uh, they are you know, competing with Endeavor. And in the article, it mentions that Endeavor is actually up for sale. Uh, big old companies such as Royal Dutch Shell, Chevron, and Exxon are considered among likely buyers. Now, I honestly, looking at this, I, I think Chevron's been kind of on the radar for me for a few months. I, I, I feel like they would be the most likely at this at this point. But um, do you the, want to put a jump in the lake wager on that too? No, uh, no, because no, no, no. uh, <laughs> Exxon Exxon is the over under favorite I, I would i would say but chevron just seems to be the more, more likely for me uh so that's something to keep an eye on endeavor has been they have been blowing and going for the last four to six weeks i've been looking at uh the drilling permits that have been filed and things are coming out on linkedin pretty pretty frequently uh but moburn they're the they're one of the quiet companies out there that just keep on producing at a high level i believe they have here they're the lowest um break-even cost at 29 dollars per barrel uh, break-even so they're running a very efficient machine and they're producing just at a fantastic rate um it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they how they're positioning themselves and and what they're going to continue to do is i know i know they have big plans for for the next year or two it's going to be interesting to see how they how they developed this out. Yeah, one of the things about the article that, that I, I found amusing was it said that they're not for sale. So does that mean that they are for sale, but they're, like, saying they're not? It's kind of like the, you know, kind of like that reverse psychology thing. So do, will we see an article in three months that Moburn was sold or not? I don't know. But, you know, I think there's a lot of things that we talk about, um, you know, the executive team, you know, can they do stuff? And if you look at kind of their portfolio, they were a natural gas company. They've transitioned into uh, oil, a little bit more l- lucrative. Um, according to Rice Dad, as you mentioned, they pr- they potentially have one of the lowest break-even costs at $29 a barrel, which means that they can ride this thing out for quite some time. Um, they say in here that they have a long-term strategy. And I tend to believe them because they've been around for, like you say, a little while. And if you take them up with their face value, they're not looking to sell. That's important because... So many of these EMPs, especially private hill ones, they're they're coming in, and we talked about this a while back, Josh. The, you know the kind of idea of you come in, you you drill out, and you flip it. Okay, well these guys they're not looking to flip it, so that means they got to make money month after month after month, year after year after year. And so if you do that, your strategy is going to be different because you you're going you got to you know buy acreage that you can develop for a longer period of time. You got to drill, keep your costs down, all of those things. That if you're wanting to sell, I mean if you're wanting to uh, maintain a long term profitable business, you just operate it differently. So um, it's a great piece here, and it'd be interesting to see because as you mentioned, if you go read uh, Sergio Chapa's drill down report, you know uh, you'll see their name in there regularly about you know how many rigs are running or maybe it's not him maybe it's because he does texas but um there's some report that we get i can't remember who has it out and you'll see their name on there regularly about how many rigs are running or how much um activity they have going on and it's quite impressive because they're, they don't get a lot of headlines and so that's the thing about them is they're, they're doing it nice and quiet they're kind of staying off the books they're not looking for the attention um and so um be interested to see you know how they stack up a year from now if prices are higher there is more of an appetite to buy companies like this if they will um stay true to their ways or if they will you know i don't blame them cash out and take that check yeah it's definitely gonna be interesting to see and you know for those you know it mentions in here that they were founded in tyler uh but they have a pretty massive office it says here they're the largest uh oil and gas producing employer in um in lee county so 
which they're not competing with a whole lot there. Uh, next article is slowing Permian oil supply might be reversed soon. This is a Forbes article, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff that, that this guy, uh, Michael Lynch, uh, brings up here. So we know that uh, production has been, uh, oil rigs have been declining. Production has been a bit of a, bit of a struggle, uh, especially in terms of what people were able to turn for a profit. And this article goes in and talks a lot about the pipeline supply that has been put online and how this is going to affect uh, overall production. And that what we're seeing now is a result of a lack of pipelines that have been in place for, you know, a year, and that has been dealt with. So um, interesting interesting take here, Ryan. What do you think about Lynch and, and some of his predictions about possibly seeing an uptick in production? No, I, I liked what he was saying on some level because he, he is kind of getting outside of the normal talking points. He talks about um, the ability to sell the uh, to sell your product in a pipeline um, at, a, at a better rate than what you could before, okay, because now the pipeline rates are going down because we have so much spare capacity, whereas two years ago we were, you know, at max capacity. So there's, there's different metrics that he's looking at saying that, okay, these are the things that could lead to not only um, – the, the, the oil company is more profitable, but substantially more profitable depending on how it shakes out. So the price could rise. They're selling the, the their product through the pipeline at a better rate. Um, if it does that, it could help them rebalance their budgets and rebalance their sheets in a way that you don't traditionally think about. You think about cutting costs, cutting costs, cutting costs. Well, he's saying that actually they could actually increase their profits um, through the pipeline deals that they can strike. And that's an interesting concept because if, if that works itself out, then you could, while you're decreasing your costs, you could increase your profitability through a certain area. Well, then you're you're double dipping, right? Because you're 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 cutting your overhead or your cost, and you're increasing your profitability. That expedites things. So, like if you have a you know a lot of debt at your house, and you're trying to pay down your debt, so you cut down your cost, and then if you get that second job, well, now you've you've expedited that process. And so, um, I thought that was a very interesting point that's not getting talked about enough, at least. Yeah, and he, he mentions here too. Uh, here's here's a here's a good good little point he makes. Implication is that more pipelines will translate into something like 15 billion per year in additional revenue for producers, but it also suggests a different possibility for the fall off in Permian drilling. Why produce oil now if the price would be 20 percent higher in a year? Right. And so uh, that that's a great point, and it, it it brings your attention to some of these bigger players that, uh, if you look like someone like Exxon. Their production was actually down last year, and they have really been ramping up this year. Well, you can see that for them, the, the pipelines coming online was really the big deal um, that, that kind of marked their activity. They were waiting to be able to transport this at a, at a reasonable cost. I mean, looking at the, the gas prices, um, they went from $2 to $0.65. Cents. Um, you know, so... You, you can see how the, the pipeline accessibility has really played a huge, huge part in, in what these companies are, are planning to do. Yeah, it definitely played a part. I think the one, one final thing just before we get off this is uh, we have to remember, and we say it regularly, but you can't emphasize it enough, is that it's not a monolithic issue, right? There's a lot of companies, a lot of different factors. And so um, I think this is something to, to watch and to see where it plays itself out. But it also doesn't mean that it's actually going to work because different companies might be in, you know, a certain company might need to produce right now. Even though they're not getting the best margins because they just need to make the money now. They can't afford to wait six months or a year to rebalance the budget. So I think it's a good thing to – but I hate to bring that up every time, but I do think 
it's a great piece, but you just also have to remember when you're reading this news, it's not always a, uh, a one-to-one issue. Another article we have, oilprice.com, are U.S. sanctions killing crude? Uh, so there's a couple, of, a couple of points that are made here. First, it talks about another false start from the Saudi Aramco. Uh, there's a, a mention of trying to deal with the Saudi attack that happened you know, a month or so ago and, and how that could affect the value of Saudi Aramco as a whole. So they're, they're trying to address some of these concerns. And, uh, and so they're, they're, as expected, there is another delay uh, for the Saudi Aramco IPO. It's going to be interesting to see how this, how this runs out. Uh, like you mentioned, Ryan, that they wouldn't be doing this. They wouldn't be planning to go um, to, to launch an IPO unless they thought the oil prices were going to go up, which would you know, help their valuation. And, and also, I, I wonder about their production. I, there's, the article mentions that they're actually positive about their production numbers, but my question is um, some, of the, some of the numbers that we've seen have indicated that they're going to be less than ideal for you know, launching the IPO, that their production is actually going to be less than what they were, what they were intending. Yeah, so Nate can link to this. Uh, one or two episodes ago, Ellen and I had a at-length discussion on the Saudi Aramco IPO um, on the Energy Week podcast. And so if you're interested kind of the different facets of that, where, where we went, you know, what Ellen's, Ellen is, the as I said on the show, I disagree with her, but she's the foremost authority. So if you're going to bet on something, bet on what she says. But um, we did have a different opinion there, but obviously she is uh, far more uh, in, entrenched with this. But, you know, m- my position is, Blade out there, and Ellen's positions is there, and so Nate, uh, I think Nate, you can put that in the show notes. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, so anyone who wants to go hear what we think about the Ramco IPO, it doesn't change. This, this news doesn't really change my opinions, but it's a kind of a lengthy discussion we have. What probably 10, 15 minutes on that Nate we spent. Yeah, so 10, 15 minutes on that. So we'll link to that, so we won't uh, hit that again. But um, be good for anyone who wants to hear those comments. And not only that, but uh, U.S. sanctions. Uh, so this is another part of the article. U.S. sanctions uh, can kill U.S. crude. So it mentions the sanctions that were put on Iran and Venezuela, how they were forced to uh, – they were designed to force Iran to basically fall in line over the nuclear deal. And, uh, and, and what's happened instead is the record low production for Venezuela and curbed export profits for Iran. And so I think it is putting some pressure on them, but I think one of the other aspects of this is that it's also putting pressure on other countries that are having to pay higher prices for exports to ship oil and gas. And that in turn is, according to this article, having an effect on the Texas side of the oil and gas. You know, on, uh, so. It, it, interesting how these tariffs and sanctions that we're putting on can actually come back to actually bite us in the butt because of, of the way the economy works. Now, see, Josh, you have teed it up for me to complain about government, but I'm not going to do that today. You're not going to complain? I'm not going to complain. I'm thankful that we have a show to talk about these issues on, and I'm thankful for law, the law of unintended consequences that when you do something – like a tariff theoretically it might have unintended consequences i'm not going to complain about that law today on the show but thank you for trying to bait me in this is ryan 2.0 it's not happening today <laughs> well you know there's a couple of a couple of comments also about some of the crypto moves that china's making i know this is a texas oil and gas show but uh, some people have some theories on how crypto will be 
involved in the oil and gas industry uh, at some point in the future. Right now, China accounts for about 60% of the world's Bitcoin mining. I did not so. realize that they had that much of the Bitcoin mining. That I was surprising. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a crypto guru, so it doesn't... If that's if that's not news, you know, then okay. But for me, it was news, and I was kind of surprised. It was that. news for me. Yeah. yeah. And Ryan, before our guest comes on, we have a couple of things to mention in the roundup. But first, I wanted to mention uh, Schlumberger takes a 12.7 billion dollar goodwill hit from past acquisitions. So this was quite an astounding article. I, I didn't expect such uh, such big numbers. Uh, honestly, when I when I first saw it, I was I was shocked. So. The only thing I, I want to make a quick comment on this because, as you said, we got the guests coming on. Um, I don't know. Um, there's a quote in the article. I'm not exactly sure if this, who this is from, the consulting firm or from Sunbridge. But anyways, it says better to rip off Band-Aids sooner versus later. And my, my comment on that would be if that is true and that's what they're doing, then I think this could be a good sign for Schumpelgey moving forward. If they are actually just ripping off the Band-Aid, they're saying this is the problems, here's the write-downs, you know, here's where we got to go. Um, if that's what actually happened here, it could be a really good sign because you kind of told everyone, okay, you know, here's the problem, I've, and now, now we know how to fix it or we're working on fixing it, rather than trying to string along investors for you know quarter after quarter, year after year. So that's the thing I think to follow here was is as we move on, did Schlumberger actually rip the bandit off and begin to fix the problems or was it a mixed misdiagnosis of the problem? You know, so they, they've, I thought that was an interesting way to put, put it in um, the proper way potentially to handle things is just to rip the bandit off and get, get going. So, um, that's for me. I thought was interesting moving forward on that. I thought uh, one little point I wanted to make that was interesting to me is that Schlumberger's stock climbed as much as 4.1 percent in New York trading and was up 2.3 percent at 32.62 at 11:39 a.m. That wouldn't have been my expectation uh, coming out, you know, from the the, the statement that, that they made. You know, 12.7 billion dollar hit from past acquisitions. But apparently, them dealing with it is being seen um, positively from Wall Street. Is what I would what I would take that to mean. And we have one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because it, it says in the article the write downs led to the the uh, led the company to post its largest net quarterly loss in, a, in in at least a decade. So yeah. Yeah, it's surprising that you would see the stocks actually respond positively with, with that. Uh, that just doesn't. Maybe maybe I'm maybe my. Uh, my intelligence level is causing me to simpletons, baby. Simpletons, simpletons. Yes, okay. simpletons. Yeah. I'm not. Let's not. Let's just. We we we've we simpletoned it up. All right. So uh, there's there's a couple of things that I'm going to link to the show notes here. Um, Heart Energy had an interesting article with uh, kind of a report on Permian operators delivering strong production. It mentions Apache Corp uh, and some of their production. They're running 12 rigs, 226,000 barrels or equivalent per day during the second quarter so apache had some good numbers alpine high which is i believe a subsidiary of of apache alpine High also uh, averaged five rigs and two frat crews and placed 26 wells of production during the second quarter yeah and i think um let's see here i want to say i've got a speaker quote for us uh josh before we get to our guest now we should say that we're recording this on monday what's today's date today is the 21st okay 21st we were recording this next week's episode on thursday and so there's a few articles we have left out because of i will be at the bush china stuff a week from today so if you're in houston or whatever let me know i'll be at the bush china event bushchinaconference.org um so there is a there is an article we're going to talk about it here loosely but um 
we'll tease it, I guess, because it will be on Thursday's show. And, Josh, this was kind of big news that broke over the weekend, is the Carlisle Group exits the um, the Port of Corpus Christi deal that they're involved in. And let's just say Spigner sent me a text in which he complained a little bit. Just a little bit. So um, just slight complaining from Spigner himself. So I just want to get that out there, that he is not happy about what's going on on those issues. Speaker of the Prophet of Doom obviously weighs in with his thoughts from time to time. And um, he did also have a comment on a deal last week we saw on the, what was the deal that happened last week? The Parsley deal. Um, and so he was saying that, you know, he said that, quote, you will see more mergers that are all stock deals. Um, and so he's saying that, the, that when you see the, the the mergers that are stock deals, it's not like a typical deal where someone's buying out. When it's all stock, it's really... Um, not as lucrative as you might read from the outside perspective. So, all right, we have a special guest coming on the show today, Ross Wingham. He is manager of business development and marketing with Revelant. Appreciate you coming on the show today, man. Uh, excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's an honor to be here. Um, been a long time listener. I really appreciate what you guys are doing, and um, happy to be a part of the conversation today. Before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of what you're going to discuss, um, you were airing out some grievances with Nate. Did you want to do that on online now that we're recording, or did you just – was that – I mean, you were saying some pretty nasty stuff. I didn't know if you wanted that to be on the on here or not. So, Well, you know, I, you guys are trying to brand this as a, as a family-friendly show, so a lot of what I would like to say, unfortunately, <laughs> would not go – there would be a lot of beeps um, involved. In, now, I don't really want to – a negative light on myself. <laughs> I think I'll just go ahead and say that, uh, Nate, your work is very much appreciated, air quotes, and um, thank you for your service. Um, very, very- <laughs> uh, uh, we gotta get this going as a reoccurring guest. <laughs> I don't air, wanna. Air quotes. Nate, Nate, to be honest with you, man, I'm just happy that I have the opportunity to beat up on someone because I'm I'm normally in your shoes, man. So just just get to that perspective. <laughs> Nate's like the Cinderella of our show. <laughs> Everyone takes the woodshed to him, and <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, that's uh, I mean, we should probably in there. We peaked already. I mean, that's yeah. That's <laughs> uh, have, you guys have a great day. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, first off, we need to link to um, your company. So, Revelant, tell us a little bit about uh, who you guys are, what you do, and uh, we'll kind of get in a little bit more what, what, we, what, we, what we have you on to talk about. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, uh, Revelant, we are a material sciences company, and so we're applying a lot of the research and development on a patent-pending material that we actually manufacture uh, to common oil field production challenges. And we typically, right now, are serving the upstream uh, production market. So this is after wells have already been completed um, or kind of into their you know, life phase. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the wells we go into right now are like the rod pump, you know, stripper well market, five barrel a day and below kind of uh, activity. Uh, and where people see production challenges around paraffin, calcium carbonate scale, uh, maybe some asphalt teams as well. Um, we're applying our material science to solving those problems. 
So you mentioned some of these problems for maybe our listeners who aren't up to up to speed with what these problems are, why they exist, what causes them, where you might find them more prevalent than other areas. Uh, can you kind of break down those in a little bit more detail for us? Yeah, sure. Good question. So um, paraffin is probably the number one problem we deal with. And depending upon, um, you know, the formation you're producing out of and your depth um, will depend upon whether or not you have a paraffin problem or not. Um, but if you have it, typically you see the paraffin deposit out anywhere between 1,500 feet to 3,000 feet uh, down in your well. And when it deposits out, when I say that, really it becomes a crystalline form and hardens. And, you know, I talked about the, the stripper well. Oftentimes when you're having to strip a well, I mean, it's literally like taking frozen peanut butter um, out of a well that's, you know, a couple thousand feet down. Um, so for paraffin, what we're doing is we're helping prevent or hold that paraffin uh, in solution so that it does not crystallize or deposit out up your well bore. With calcium carbonate scale, um, you might see calcium carbonate scale throughout your well um, or maybe even on your flow lines. We work a little bit differently where we help prevent the same type of crystallization that we talked about with paraffin, which would harden, i.e. Um, make the diameter of your tubing essentially smaller or make it harder to flow. Um, but we can also remediate uh, and knock some of the existing calcium carbonate scale off. Um, so with paraffin, we're more preventative in, in, the, in the fact that we're holding that in a more soluble state, i.e. making it easier to produce your well, even with the paraffin still in there. Uh, with calcium carbonate, we're both preventative and have some, um, some ability to remediate, too. So you talked about depth there, but is it, is it basin-specific, or is it, is it um, API gravity-specific, or what, what's causing this, this problem at these depths that you're seeing, or is it just a universal problem that you're going to find wherever you're working at? No, th thanks. For th that's a great clarifying question. That's something that we ask a lot of our, our customers, too. Um, if you have a paraffin problem, it's, it's pretty common that it's related to a certain geography. Um, it's not 100% of the wells see a paraffin problem, but it can be 100% of the wells in a given area. So there absolutely are specific geographies. Um, I don't want to put, I don't even want to say a specific basin. It might even be more isolated to a certain part of that basin where you do see more paraffin or calcium carbonate scale produced. Um, and that's typically where we, we serve those markets. So yeah, it's not, it, you can't paint a broad stroke. Um, you kind of have to know and listen to the customers on where these problems are most commonly occurring. And then, obviously, we're trying to use that data now to become more predictive. Hey, Mr. Customer, if you've got a well that has paraffin, well, guess what? In your backyard, we have three tools installed that have helped deal with that, and it's a pretty you know, prolific issue uh, within your given geography. So one of the things we were talking about before you came on the show was um – you know, we've talked at that at length about you know producers that are cutting costs, and um, there is some theory now about how they can increase profitability. It seems like you guys are on the cost cutting side because you, while also might tap into that increasing profitability because you're reducing a problem. Obviously, your guys are charging for your service, but in doing so, you're hoping to increase profitability as well. Is that a good synopsis? Yeah, I mean that's that's a big part of our value proposition. Um, and, you know, I know some people roll their eyes about value propositions, but, I mean, this is this is what it comes down to, guys. So, 
if you have a paraffin problem or these production challenges like I've mentioned, there's only been, you know, a handful, and you could probably add maybe two or three on top of that, of options to get rid of these or to deal with these. And so there's a common methodology uh, in the market that people use, and they've just automatically assumed whatever cost is associated with those methods as kind of the, the norm, okay? So we come in, you know, enter Revolant with our Intercat technology, and we kind of have a different spin on it. So there is a cost to our tool uh, to, to install in a well to help with these problems. Um, however, it's, a, it's, a complete, it's really a paradigm shift is what we're selling. It's actually getting someone to believe that there is another way other than their common methodology to deal with these problems. Now, what does that mean from a cost perspective or an LOE, lease operating expenses perspective for the customer? Well, for example, you know, we ask our customers to suspend the chemical program that might be used for uh, treating a paraffin um, because, well, it's twofold. It's one, because we've seen that when you use an existing methodology to get rid of paraffin-like chemical, for example, um, and I'm just using them as an example. I'm not going to beat up on them. Um, but when you use that um, with our technology, it's kind of like two different forces um, battling for the same um, result. And so we found that when you just use our tool and you uh, eliminate the chemical usage. We've actually seen a lot more efficient usage of our tool, but I always like to think from the customer's perspective, okay, if if Ross comes in and wants to sell his intercat tool to me and I run chemical and the intercat tool and say that well sees success, say we did solve the paraffin problem, how does that client know whether or not it was the chemical or it was Ross's tool that he, that he sold me? So some of it's uh, somewhat just salesy, if you will, uh, to put to put a new word out there. Um, and it's just to say, hey, look, Mr. Customer, at the end of the day, you and I both want to know whether or not this is something that helped you or didn't and not leave any question marks at, at the end. So that's a very long-winded answer of saying one of the ways that we can help with cost is, yes, we do see an elimination of chemical cost or reduction of chemical cost in most cases. Uh, furthermore, um, one of the biggest costs that we talk about with our customers, you know, back to the lease operating expenses, and you talk about stripping a well. I mean, that, that requires a workover rig uh, and labor uh, to come and intervene on that well. Um, one of the things that we've seen be the, the biggest, you know, economic factor is we have seen oftentimes a reduction of how many times people will have to come in and work over the well. And that just comes simply from holding back to the, what paraffin is and how it forms. If you keep that in a more soluble state and it doesn't set up in your well, there's less opportunities for you to have to go in there and strip that stuff out and intervene. So we like to say that we lower uh, the total workover costs as it's related to these production challenges. Um, and when you start talking about just cutting costs, like you said, um, obviously that's going to lead to increased profitability. We also have some factors that we feel um, confident in and we kind of pride ourselves in. We, we do feel like that um, we can help uh, stabilize your production. I will never be on a call or talk to a customer and say that we increase production. And if somebody does, I'd probably ask them to leave the office. 
However, if you think about it, if we're saying that we're reducing the amount of times that you have to cut into a well or shut in a well to intervene, obviously you're going to see some production stabilization. So for us, it's more of the replacement of lost production um, that, that is a lot more valuable to our customers. And then the fourth piece of value, so we kind of have a chemical cost, a workover cost, we have you know production stabilization. And the final point that we that we offer our customers is we do believe that we have some HSE, health, safety, and environmental benefit to our tool. Um, this is a piece of material that is non-powered, it's non-nuclear, it's non-chemical. Um, you know, it's non-magnetic, and it's a tool that will not impede the flow of your well. So the risk to install our tool is very minimal. And on top of that, if, if I'm saying that, hey, you're no longer going to have to go out there maybe every month uh, to work over a well or even six months to work over a well, that's less windshield time for the guys in the field to have to go and deal with these problematic wells. And as we all know, the unfortunate nature of the oil field right now, and then one of the number one uh, causes of death in, in the Permian Basin, for example, unfortunately, is automotive accidents. And so I will never put a, a dollar amount on what we can bring to the table from an HSE perspective. However, we do feel like this does offer some advantages when you run a piece of technology like ours versus some of the common methodology. Uh, what, what can you add about predictive analysis? What can you tell us about that? Uh, okay, good. Yeah, good question. So we've heard a lot about it, right, in this industry. You know, it's, it's all about the big data. It's all about artificial intelligence. And, and what does that bring? Well, everyone's trying to, be, to get more predictive and to have a better model of achieving success. And, you know, we're no different from any other customer, um, regardless of how you want to use that information. You know, when you talk about, you know, a specific area in a geography uh, having uh, more of a prolific tariff pro uh, problem than others, well, in that case, we want to become more predictive in being an educational resource for maybe a producer in that same area that's using some of the common methodology I talked about earlier and say, hey, look, there is a way to achieve success while, uh, you know, utilizing a, a less uh, cost option. And so there is some predictive analysis that comes from just a sales perspective. But, you know, back to the point, you know, we're a material sciences company. We've invested a lot of time and effort into our research and development. And for us, when you have a disruptive technology, um, something that is patent pending and proprietary, you know, it, there's a lot of information that you have to gather um, in order to help kind of build the model and, and, yes, become more predictive. So let me just give you an example. So a customer comes to us and they say, hey, we're seeing, you know, a certain fluid characteristic uh, in a certain well in a certain area. Well, it would be nice for us to draw on our experience and our data that we've gathered either from our past installations or the research and development we've done to say, hey, Mr. Customer, thank you for your information. We have, you know, really, um, uh, we have a we have a high confidence that with these characteristics that you're showing us, that we will be able to help you. So for us, the predictive nature comes more from building confidence, not only for us as a company selling a product and selling a science, but for our clients as well. So if you can you can utilize that predictive analytics and however you want to define it. And some people, you know, over science the heck out of that stuff. You know, we, frankly speaking, we don't, I mean, we just keep, we just keep a lot of information in a database 
and we use real data um, to help us become more predictive, which brings value to our customers, that's how we're using, um, you know, that, that predictive nature that this market's going into more and more. Okay, let's uh, start to land this bird. Tell us where we can find out more about you, your company, website, social media. Uh, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, perfect. Thanks. So you can obviously visit our website, revelant.com, which is R-E-V-E-L-A-N-T.com. Uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Ross Wiggum, W-H-I-G-H-A-M. Be happy to, to connect with you on there. Um, and just if I may uh, give a plug to a local SPE chapter, uh, if that's okay. Um, sure. I'm also on the uh, SPE Innovate Gulf Coast chapter. Uh, Innovate is an opportunity for uh, customers that have innovative technology or even a startup company to come and present their information. Uh, so just visit the your local SPE chapter site, uh, see if they have an Innovate committee, um, and feel free to reach out to us there. Okay, and the real question I think we that we want to know is how many five-star reviews can we count on from you to get Nate into the lake January 2020? Can we, By the way, are you all selling those T-shirts that I saw? We are going to sell. Yeah, we did announce it earlier on the show. Obviously, you weren't here, but, but yeah. We're probably going to get like a limited number um, and see how that goes. But, yeah, we got to get to 200 five-star reviews, though. We're at 167 <clears throat> at the time of this recording. And so um, – yeah, so we got. Uh, we'll be down for like an over under at least ten. Ten. Um, I'm gonna okay. We, we, we got to make this happen. We got to make this happen. That puts us at 177 five star ratings. Now we did have some interesting things here. Uh, we'll let you go after this, but you know, one person weighed in that said that um, you know Nate needs to swim. Josh also. So they they didn't want me to swim, which made a lot of sense to me. Um, one person said that I complained a lot. And that Josh was the adult in the room. That one kind of stung a little bit. That one kind of stung. I'm gonna be honest with you that, that that Josh is the adult in the room, and I complain a lot. Um, and then we were called simpletons. So the five star reviews probably didn't come in as glowing as we had hoped, but they were five star reviews. And beggars can't be choosers. And I can't complain about it because I complain too much. So if you could if you could stack ten on top of that 167, we'll start ordering Nate a speedo for uh, January 2020. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You've got me and a speedo now. Excuse me, one, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, can I can I make a suggestion that might work? Uh, yeah, we're, we're all ears, literally. So so right. So you said you're not going to get in the lake, but what I'd maybe like to see is you could be the coach for the guys in the water and have like sunscreen on your nose and be like in a canoe, <laughs> like a like a big horn, you know, a microphone loud. I'm telling you, this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. This is the kind of guest we need to book more often. Obviously, he's a guest that I picked out. Or, I mean, because he's quality. But I'm just saying that if you could find guests like I find, that would be that would be great. Ross, we'll be sure to link to all the stuff in the show notes. Thanks for coming on. It was a blast, and thanks for blasting Nate. Um, yeah, if you go ahead and stack them ten five star reviews up, that would be lovely and uh, good to have you on. It was nice to connect with you. I, for the listeners, I got to talk to Ross offline a few weeks ago on LinkedIn. He's a good dude and uh, fun to chat with, as you can tell from here today. Very good. Hey, thank you guys so much. Have a great week. Ryan, please correct me if I'm wrong, but did that man just recommend that we uh, videotape you with your shirt off? 
Not every not everybody can bat a thousand. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> and why are you fat shaming me on the show like that? Uh, why are you fat shaming me? I didn't say I was fat maybe, shaming. Maybe you. what he realized was is of the three of us, I'm the only one who can withstand the winter with my shirt off. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's maybe it was more of a compliment than anything else. Like, uh, you, you've got a body of a god, Ryan. <laughs> a polar god, polar bear god, <laughs> Eskimo god. <laughs> All right, Josh. Well, we got anything else, or we we, we hit it all? Um, I think we hit it all, huh? Yeah. Well, thanks again to Ross Wiggum for coming on the show today. Uh, it was good, um, uh, interesting stuff that he had to talk about there. So uh, mainly the Nate stuff. Uh, Nate mainly stuff the Nate stuff was fantastic. Gold. That was five star. I would utterly unsound. <laughs> I would give us a five star review just on that content alone. It is important. We do have shirts made up. Nathan Phelps, 2020 Polar Plunge. We're going to get a limited edition, uh, a number of those printed up. If they sell out, then maybe we'll get some more. We're not. No promises. We'll have those details for you Thursday when we come. Well, it'll be Monday for you guys, but we're recording Thursday. So we'll have them by Thursday. We'll be working around the clock to get that. In the meantime, get us to 200 five-star reviews. We'll level off the, the cruising altitude at 200 for a little while, uh, at least in January. No, keep then- going. Keep that slope. <laughs> keep that slope climbing, baby. Thank you, listeners. Um, we Yo, gosh, we should say this. Yes. We didn't even talk about this. We should talk about in the beginning. No one's listening now. We crossed 150,000 downloads on this show. And so thank you, listeners, for that. We'll mention it at the beginning of next show because – People probably have tuned out uh, by now, but 150,000 downloads all time on this show. And so if you go do the math and divide that by the number of episodes, it is not the right per episode download number. We can tell you that because that's not how that works, unfortunately. Um, well, or, or is it unfortunately or fortunately? Fortunately. fortunately? What, what Ryan is trying to say is that we get a crap ton of downloads per episode now, and that's pretty cool. They're up and to the right. No. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for downloading the show. Please share it. Five-star review. Uh, and let's get Nate in the water. Until next time, keep climbing. <laughs>